Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host with the most as always, Adela Marcy, and today we are sponsored by AdelaMarcy.com and of course, CopyChief.com. Check that place out if you're a business owner of any kind, interested in copywriting, or just want to really get the edge from my boy, Kevin Rogers, and that's who our guest is today. Uh, the one, the only, the magnificent comedian as well as writer, Kevin Rogers. Kevin, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure, Adel. Good to be here with you, man. It's been a long time since we spoke, brother. It's been absolutely. It has. Goddamn. Yeah. I remember. I think the last time we spoke is when you started Copy Chief. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Shit. That was August 2014. Really? I thought it was 2015. I'm sure. 2014. Yeah. No. Yeah, we probably spoke since it started, but uh, not much. Yeah, that's how, that's how long it's been open. Yeah. Holy crap! That's been a long time. Three years have just gone by. Like, well, two and a half years have gone by so quickly. Yeah. So just a real quick heads up to everyone that isn't familiar with my friend Kevin. Uh, here's just a very quick rundown of my side, and Kevin can correct me if he wants. Um, so I met Kevin a couple of years ago when we were both uh, copywriting, both on ClickBank and WSOs and everything else in between and consulting. Um, I was making rookie money because I was being a dumbass, and Kevin kind of pulled me aside and told me what to do, which was awesome. So mm. I started charging more money. Uh, he is a John Carlton trained copywriter, but he's also a Vin Mont Wait, was it Vin Montel that trained you as well? Like you worked with Vin? And, uh, yeah, in the beginning, Vin was my, yeah, sort of my first mentor for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you also worked with Vin, which was awesome. And for the people who don't know who he is, he's another like just great in the advertising space as well that knows his stuff. And John, who is, in my opinion, still one of the greatest teachers in terms of copywriting and a badass copywriter himself. Um, and Kevin's just gone ahead and taught simple writing system with John uh, as one of his guest teachers. Copy Chief came about, if I remember correctly, that was a conversation between you and Dean Jackson, uh, where Dean pulled you aside on stage after everyone left and said, Kevin, how long do you reckon I'll be sat on the stage? Like, how long will it take for you to uh, get off the stage before you actually need to think about how much money you've got? And I think you said it was like two months at the most. And Dean was like, I can sit here for six months and not worry about a thing. And he'll just keep on coming. <laughs> That's close. Yeah, it was actually two. I said two weeks. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it was actually the famous white couch in in Celebration, Florida. And yeah, that was that was an eye opening moment. Uh, and it, it really brought to the forefront of my mind that I, I've got to get my own thing going. I can't live on client work forever. Yeah, it's insane because right now I'm going through that transition right now. By the time this podcast comes out um, and is published. I would have actually stopped writing for clients um, yeah. entirely. But that transition is scary as hell. Yeah, it really is. It, I look back, last year, 2016, uh, uh, was my burn the ships year. And I literally told uh, a, a few different people to stop sending me money, wow. which is a weird thing to do because the truth is, I was at a point in my career where it was incredibly easy money. You know, we're you're like we're talking in one in one situation like three thousand dollars a month to get on a call for one hour a week. You know, and to say to people, uh, it was just that every situation had its own unique um, factors, and, and ultimately. I was aware that I was not serving the clients on the level that, that I, the standard I'd set for myself and for them. And so in some instances, it was just better for me to, if I had a writing partner and to just let them take over completely. 
And so, the, and plus I knew like mentally I had to make the leap. Yeah. I couldn't keep my foot in one world and try to build the other. I, I'd been doing that for two years and it wasn't working, right? So it was decision time and I I really loved what Copy Chief w- had grown into and I n- really saw the potential and uh, I took the leap and, and I'll tell you what, man, it was really interesting because, you know, we talk about, as freelance copywriters, we like we call ourselves entrepreneurs, but really, it, it, it's not. You know, you're, you're a freelancer. Yeah. Um, and you, it, it's hard for you to understand why business owners make the, and sometimes are forced to make the decisions they do until you've had your own money on the line like that. Uh, and that's why I think it's it's crucial for every freelancer to do things like, you know, have a, a, a even a simple ClickBank. A, a promotion that that you're in charge of, right? Like become an affiliate. Do do all the moving parts from the marketing side. Put your money online. Put your money behind some Facebook ads in your copy, and see how differently you'll write. You know. Um, and so for me, uh, this was my that was my year of rediscovering how to generate revenue. I, I literally almost like month to month had to go. All right, so. You know, where's the money coming from this month? There was a base there, but it certainly wasn't, oh, great, Copy Chief has grown enough in recurring revenue where I don't need this client money anymore, right? I was telling, you know, saying a third of my nut is not present and I need to go create it every month now, right? And so it was incredibly valuable, albeit, like you said, scary. It's a scary thing to do because we've, work our ass off to to accomplish this uh to prove this model of will somebody pay me to do this thing i love and then we do that and to, and to, and to feel like we hit the ceiling with it uh and then to shut it down and really become an entrepreneur is uh, incredibly scary but also once you get through the other side of that tunnel it's very very rewarding hells yeah i mean it's that it's that moment that um it's that pulling trigger moment. I think you wrote you wrote an amazing post in Copy Chief about this a while ago about the imposter syndrome. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like so many people think just freelancing side of stuff for people that are actually doing the freelance work as well. You don't just get imposter syndrome when you're freelancing. You also get it when you're creating products because I don't know if you had this, Kevin, when you were going through it, but I'm going through it right now with my uh, story selling blueprint course. Mm-hmm. like i've read i've how many times have i shot the modules it's a two grand course um that i created and i think i've redone the videos six times now like all modules have been redone like six different times because every time i go <laughs> wow. through it i'm like but this isn't good enough it's not sharing enough i need to go yeah, do it again yeah. and uh it was really weird because i spoke to um i went to a seminar recently just you know hang out with uh, a few like-minded individuals in the self-development world and every single one of them that knew me turned around and said yeah, what, what's your fucking problem? Mm-hmm. Just get yeah. it out there. You know what you're doing. If I asked you right yeah. now, how do you write a sales letter? Go. You'd spit it out like in an instant. Like, yeah. Have you recorded any of this? I'm like, yeah. So, like, so why, are you, why are you screwing around? And by the by, just a quick heads up. Any of that whimpering you hear in the background or meowing, um, that's my cat. It's not a child. It sounds like a child. It's a cat. <laughs> that's what they all say, Adam. That's what they all say. Uh, <laughs> um I wish it was. I wish it was a child. It would make my life so much more interesting because then yeah, I'd just I just dress him as Darth Vader all day. 
<laughs> That's right. I can. Well, plus you can somewhat communicate with a child. A cat just is like, don't talk to me. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna me. I'm gonna meow whether you like it or not. Oh no, actually, um, this this little asshole here. Like, if you tell him Chase, shut up, he'll just meow right back at you. Just go no, and just keep going. <laughs> That's so funny, but dude, it's it's funny you say that about. You know, uh, never letting go or never pulling the trigger. You know, you, you mentioned Dean Jackson. The other thing Dean did for me was, uh, you know, I've told the story about the 60-second sales hook uh, in that I was totally overthinking that book, right? I had all this head trash about it, all this imposter syndrome of, oh, wow, now I'm, I'm going to call myself an author and I'm going to put out a book and – Everybody's going to really judge the writing of it because I'm, I'm a writer and uh, it's got to be really good. It's got to be the best thing I've ever done. And so I brought even brought on like an assistant to, to work with me. And we had I want to say like 40 pages of, of notes and back and forth and links to different things. And I swear to God, it would have been at least another six months before I even got a first draft done. And Dean. Uh, looked at me and said, so wait, he said, you've taught this before, right? You've given this talk. Yeah. And, and it, and people liked it, right? Yeah. And they actually used what you teach and, and got results with it. I go, yeah. He goes, well, the book's done then. He goes, you transcribe the talk. Yeah. You, you don't even touch the formatting of it and you put a cover on it and, and you're an author. The book's done. It wasn't that easy. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. that." W-. And so, but if it wasn't for Dean saying, this, that's what you're going to do. Trust me. Just consider it a test. It's not a big deal. Uh, this isn't your life's work. It's a, essentially a lead magnet with a, with a nice cover. And you're going to put it for sale on Amazon. And uh, really, it's a gift to your list. And, and you're going to just see how it goes. That's all that matters. Progress over perfection. And he gave me a deadline. He said, within 30 days, we're, we're putting this book out. And that's what we did. And completely changed my my life and my business, and and that's what led to Copy Chief. And I have to, just for the record, credit James Shremko with Copy Chief because uh, it was it was he he was writing the book created a new problem for me, which was now everybody wanted me to consult with them on their sixty second sales hook, and creating Copy Chief was my answer to how to do that for a lot of people and scale it. Um, so. Just, you know, as a friend, back to you, maybe do like instead of thinking this and not saying it's not worth $2,000, but instead of having all the pressure to create a $2,000 course, maybe you just start with a simpler win that you can give people, which is like one step of the course. And once you see that resonate and get traction, then it's much easier for you to have the confidence to offer the full course. That's actually a good point, yeah, because I'm breaking up parts of it to smaller pieces, mm-hmm. um, so it's just a lot more fun, really, just getting it done. But yeah, you're completely right, and that, in its own right, ladies and gentlemen, is if you're going through any of those feelings that I went through, just take Kevin's advice. Give him a small step to take action on and charge for it and see what happens. Or even do it for free, but generally I'm kind of against doing things for free as much, but you know. Give something of value to people and see what the reaction is. Always helps. Now, with that being said, there is something that I did want to jump into, and it very, very much crosses the boundaries of copywriting and writing in general, and that is being a stand-up. 
mm-hmm. because you you started out as a stand-up comedian right um, and now you've kind of gone back into it you've got your voice back and you're never letting it go and i think you've got like a stand-up group as well down mm-hmm. in florida that you guys will meet up and do stuff so i guess my question really here is stand-up and copywriting what would you say is the biggest difference and the biggest similarity between the two Mm. Uh, well, if I had to choose one for both, um, start with the, uh, let's see the similarity. Uh, the biggest one is that you are talking to people and with people and not at them. Like that is when we're talking about why they work for me. There's some comics who who can make it work when they sort of talk at the crowd. It's it, it's almost like a uh, it's like a rant, you know. That works. My style, in a, in what I know also works with copywriting is that I it's very much a conversation. Yeah. Uh, I was just saying to John Carlton on a recent podcast that uh, my, one of the things I've discovered now that I'm back in comedy after a decade away from it. Uh, is that, um, you know, a, a comedy club audience, whether it's, I literally performed for five people last night, uh, and, uh, it was great. You know, it's, how can it be great for five people? Uh, and I've performed recently for 2000 people and congratulations. Thank you. And the situation is the same. A group of strangers come together to, uh, form one personality and just like a conversation with a stranger in real life, sometimes that conversation is totally awkward and stilted and you just can't seem to get it going. And other times it's like instant chemistry, new best friend, and you, you, can't, uh, you can't stop each other from talking and sharing. And so in the best situation, uh, that's what it's like. And in the worst situation, that's what it's like. But it's always, uh, uh, to me, like a like a private, personal conversation between two people. So that's um, pretty amazing. So that's that's how they're similar. How they're different is that it's. I, I, I have to say, it's the live aspect, the immediate feedback. Uh, you know, in the fact that you know you're in a room together. So with stand up. They're sitting right in front of you. You can see their faces. You can hear their reactions. You're hyper aware of everything going on in the room. Uh, and, uh, you know, with, with um, other formats like podcasting, for instance, or, you know, with a, certainly with a sales letter, you, you're sort of acting out that conversation in the letter, but it's one-sided. And so the key to engaging people in that conversation is anticipating how they'll feel and react, uh, almost playing out their role for them by asking little questions or, or writing little asides as if it were a conversation. But, of course, we'll never know until someone else consumes it and reacts or doesn't react to it, whether it was effective. Yeah, that's that's quite true. And, uh, again, I have to agree with you. The live aspect of comedy is incredible i mean do you mind if i actually share one of my tips or one of the things i've picked up as well from my similarity perspective sure, yeah. um so the one of the things i found performing again because again i just went back on stage uh august i'm gonna be booking another show soon just to get my feet wet um what i found was that when you get on stage 
it's the similarity is that it's very i get the same fear as when i run a new campaign or if i send in a letter for a client that same rush of anxiety is in okay i'm on stage i'm in front of people okay i've mailed this in how's the client going to react how's this going to run so i have the exact same thought that's the similarity for me but at the same time i'm not saying that's a bad thing in fact for me if i don't have that i kind of don't do well i've noticed like it's when i have that weird anxiety that um my stuff works because for me the way i look at it is fear or anxiety is a feedback so it keeps my brain working sharp so that's like yeah, a big absolutely. one. That's yeah. one that comes for me. It's a great one. And, you know, I used to say people would always ask me after, you know, when, in my first stand up career, uh, I'd be in it, I'd been in it seven or eight years, and they would say, Do you still get nervous when you go up there? And I'd say, Only on the good gigs. Right. And because the worst thing is when you, you, you don't, care enough to get nervous you know what i mean it's the holiday and lounge on a wednesday night and there's eight people there and you just uh i will say though now that i'm back this time uh and it's so different and part of the the joy of it now is that it's not a reflection on my entire life anymore right you know when i started comedy at 18 and was on the road by 19 and then you know i'm 25 26 and i've been doing this seven years and I'm kind of burned out when I can't get nervous and I can't muster up the energy to care whether 20 people at the Holiday Inn in Macon, Georgia think I'm funny or not. I know that it's time to maybe move on uh, because it, it, it's, it's actually was probably like a, um, a defense mechanism for me not to care. Right. Uh, like, you know, because I had nothing else going now. Uh, comedy is like a treat for me. I, I have to, I have to give it special attention and I have, it, it takes a lot of sacrifice for me and my family. You know, it takes like three or four hours to go do a 10 minute set on a Thursday night. Right. I got to right. get to the club and I got to, you know, all these things and I got to sleep later that day than I normally would. And it, it's very disruptive. So for me, even if there's only six people in the crowd, I'm going to make the most of it. And even if they don't like me, it, it it doesn't ruin my day for the next day because it's just a privilege to get to do it. So that's, you know, that's a real difference. But it's a great point about feeling nervous. It's like you, you, nerves mean that you cared. Right? You, you, you cared about the work. And, uh, it, it, yeah, without that, I don't think we can do great work. Yeah, it's, um, I can't remember who it was, but someone said that if you're never scared of going forward, then yeah, it's very similar. It's like you don't actually care about what you do. And it's funny because I was talking to my friend that's staying over today and um, right before we got on this podcast, I had to go to the bathroom and she was like, I've noticed, because this is my second podcast of the day. She was like, I've noticed you go to the bathroom like two minutes before you do a podcast. I'm like, yeah. She goes, why? I was like, honestly... I don't know why, but I get super nervous right before I do a podcast with anyone. Hmm. And that's how I know I'm going to have a good show is I've got to go to the bathroom, body's going, questions are formulating. It's going to be a good free flow conversation. Let's see what happens. Um, and especially something else, just I think what's big, a big difference for you in particular is uh, you're no longer that 18 year old, uh, 18 to 25 year old kid yeah. anymore. Like you've got a lot more experience. You've now got better stories. Yeah, and you've got better things to share, and that's one of my big similarities between comedy and copywriting, is 
one-liners and punchlines can be fine, but what makes those work and what makes the sale is the story behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- I've got to credit Ari, Ari Shafir uh, and the guys over at This Is Not Happening, mostly Joey Diaz, because I love that guy. Um, but have you ever seen their stuff on Comedy Central? No. All right, so this is what sparks me back to look at comedy for a bit. Um, what they would do is Ari would get together at Cheetah's Strip Club in L.A., Mm-hmm. And he would fill up a crowd full of people and he would get stand-up comedians come in and tell stories about one thing. So it would be about life or uh, children or drug addiction mm. or crazy times or whatever it is. They'd, they'd get them to tell a singular story about a subject on stage. Mm. And they'd circle in like about 10 comedians a night. Um and this format just showed me so much that like people love stories and you can turn a story funny by simply just telling it as is, it is how it is and what your thoughts and feelings towards it were. Yeah, that's brilliant. I like, what's the name of that show? This is not happening. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, um, this, I got addicted. I watched like the first 69 episodes back to back. <laughs> wow. like crazy uh like there's just so many good comedians like so one of the ones i definitely recommend is watch anything with joey diaz in it because it's just hilarious because joey's uh, i don't know if you know much about joey diaz I don't. Uh, joey was a felon who basically came out of uh prison ended up doing comedy and being uh he's an actor as well now but um he is his stories are ridiculously funny about growing up in uh, Cuban New York mm. during like the sixties and seventies, and how like all that stuff went down. It's just such a brilliant show for anyone listening to this. If you want to look at good storytelling from non marketing perspective, watch that kind of stuff um, and watch comics because you can really break down a good story and implement those same key elements inside sales copy, and it works just as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Huge. A lot of parallels. Yeah. Massively. So like kind of jumping off of that directly into like the copywriting world, what's your take on email sequences? Because this is something that I'm getting asked a lot of, I'm getting asked about this a lot right now in different groups I'm in, um, is how long should an email be? And I've always gone with as long as it needs to be. It's the same with how long does sales have to need to be. It needs to be as long as it needs to be to tell the story and get your point across to get them to click a link or take an action. But what's your mm-hmm. take on it? Uh, I think it's. I think that's accurate to a degree. I always remember something that uh, Ramit Sethi said about writing that you have to write for how you think, especially with broadcast emails, but really all kinds. And his are his are very long. But and he struggled. People kept telling him your emails are way too long, and he tried to write them shorter, and he just he couldn't do it. Uh, and he found that when he finally just gave himself permission to write how he writes, that his audience strengthened because the people who were willing to read a long email were m- much more engaged. And so he found his audience by doing what was the natural expression of of him. So there's that. If you're talking about growing a tribe, those kinds of things. I think that it's important to have varying lengths of email based on its purpose. So 
for instance, you know, you have someone like Ben Settle who he writes the same type of email just about every day and they're uh, typically about the same length and he's really mastered that style. And so it's great because it's a fairly quick read. It's always entertaining and he's great at telling a story or getting his point across within a hundred words or so every day. And whether he's promoting someone's product or his own uh, product or whatever his purpose is, it's effective because they're a fan of Ben. Uh, in my world, some differences are like I promote like every week, uh, three of my emails are two, two new podcast episodes and a new blog post, a new article. And so, uh, we use very specific kind of formats for, you know, for, uh, each podcast has a different format for how we promote that podcast and tell the story of the show. And the articles have their own format for how we set up the, um, article and they're, they're all about the same word, uh, length, lengthen, uh, but they're different in how we approach it. Right. Uh, because I think somebody doesn't need a 500, 600 word plus email to know that there's a new podcast episode up. They, they just right. need to know, do I care about this episode? You know, um, you know, but there are other times where I get something on my heart or in my head that I feel like I need to share and I, I don't care how long it takes me to get it across in that point. And interestingly, you know, people will really, one thing you're hundred percent right about, and I don't think can be argued at all is if the writing's good, it length is, is irrelevant. Now, obviously if you get past thousand, 2000 words, it's, Maybe it, it can be an, an impediment for, for someone to be able to consume it in one sitting, right? But, man, you know, if it's if it's compelling and it's, it's – I love hearing things like, I can't believe I read this whole email because I, when I started reading it, I was sure I didn't have time. But I, I couldn't stop and now I'm having – I'm compelled to take the time to even respond to you about it, right? Yeah. So that's a vague answer but there is no – direct black and white answer I, I think it should if it's a if, if you're if it's a sequence promoting uh, a product for instance I have a, a business coaching for freelancers and our sequence is about 10 or 12 emails and there are varying lengths but they they have different purposes so for instance some things I think you should definitely include are like a, a Q&A email which is just pure Q&A about the program, you know, somewhere towards the back third of the sequence. You should definitely have an FAQ um, and you should definitely have a testimonial email, which is just purely here's what graduates are saying about the program. And no conjecture. Don't make people wait to get to that part of it. Uh, just make, make it – it's skimmable and they can – because like, look, it, it, say with the testimonial one, it's fantastic if they read every one. It's fantastic if they read one or two. But chances are most people are only going to see that it it happened in the sequence. and But they're going to see that, wow, a lot of people have taken this course. And apparently they're saying glowing things, even though it's TLDR for me. But it still makes the impression that there's a ton of value getting passed around here. Yeah. 
I that that is actually genuinely one of the truest things that you can actually say. I'm glad that you actually brought that up because this kind of like now has credence that when anyone actually says, "Yeah, but what about?" I'm like refer to what Kevin Rogers just said on the <laughs> podcast. I don't want to answer this question again. <laughs> there you go. Just go there. Go there. Listen to the whole podcast because there's some good shit in there. Um, but kind of like jumping off of that as well, because again, just going back to the book that you wrote, 60 Second Sales Hook, um, that's still available for purchase, right? It is. Yeah. It's, yeah, where, where can people yeah. go get that? So they can, they can go to Amazon. Uh, if they want, if you want a paperback, if you like paper, I, I like I do, yeah, um, you can get it there for four ninety nine. Uh, of course I prefer that you, uh, jump on, go over to copychief.com and if you, uh, it's a little funny now because the first thing you'll see if you go there, if you've never been there before is an offer to join the wait list to join copy chief. Uh, and once you do that and go back, you'll see the link to the book or you can go to copychief.com forward slash blog and start reading free articles and you'll see an option to get the book there. Alternatively, to make it simpler, you could just go to 60secondsaleshook.com uh, and, and, and get it there as well. It all, it all puts you on my list and that way I can give you all kinds of cool stuff. And when you opt in for the book, the first thing you'll see on the thank you page is a free video training so that you can get to, get to work immediately writing your 60 second sales hook. So, um, so yeah, it's still there and, uh, it is, I do feel it's time to, um, update the book. Although I just had another guru in our business read it for the first time and post made several really nice Facebook posts about it. So it's not outdated, oh, but, oh, um, you know how it is though. You always, like you were saying about feeling like the pressure is this good enough. Right. And so. Like I said, my challenge with that book was to just really get it out there and it changed my life and my business. But now that it's been three, almost three years, I have so much more to say and teach on this topic. And Otto, what I've been doing is calling it now the 60 second hero's journey because that's really more what it is. And the comedy aspect of it is full circle. So the book is based on, uh, you know, I I took a, a joke formula and turned it into a what I call a sales hook, which is just a way to tell your story and bond with your best prospects in 60 seconds or less. But it's very much a hero's journey. It's, it's four of the 16 parts of the hero's journey that you can actually get across and be really effective with in 60 seconds. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking of repurposing it with that title. But uh, yeah. I reckon you should because honestly, if that's what it does, that's what it does because it's the four key elements of the hero's journey that are being covered. Right. Like right. It's it's kind of like again, like I always say, what would you rather get? What would you rather pay for? A simple uh, cheat sheet on from the alchemists on how to turn lead to gold, or the entire six thousand word encyclopedia pages that you need, <laughs> that you need to go through. I'm right. sorry, but you'd pay for the one page because that's what gets you the result, right? Right, that's right. Same thing. As long as it's obvious what it is, you know they'll go out and sell it. Now, guys, go ahead and do that. Obviously, but I just wanted to make sure that was there because I know if I, if I didn't mention it or didn't get the link from you, Kevin, I'd be getting emails about people going, "Hey, where's this book thingy that you were talking about?" <laughs> like, let's just get it out there a little bit easier for everyone. Now, perfect. One of my questions. Well, I've got a couple of questions that I really want to ask. It's one of my favorite questions to ask. Um, and I know for a fact you'll be able to answer this stupidly well because you've answered this so many times with me. Um, 
but when you were knocked down anywhere in your career, comedy or copywriting, when you felt like my confidence is rocked, I may not have delivered as well as I should have, it didn't work as well, whatever, for any reason whatsoever, um, we are, of course, not infallible. We are all fallible for what we do. What was the thing that kind of like got your confidence back up? What was the thing that got you back on the horse? Because sometimes you don't want to get on the horse again. Mm. But what was yeah. the thing that got you back on? Yeah, it's a good question. And to, to be fully transparent, there have been times where it's been kind of an easy fix. And there have been times where it was alarmingly difficult to break out of. Um, so without giving the full sort of dramatic details of the toughest one I went through, um, I think the answer is, it really is in, in, in companionship. You know, if you, if you think about it, when you have a problem, uh, you, there are a small group of people you know, when you're, uh, I mean, when I'm, I'm talking about a, a problem, like you said, when you're knocked down, when you really feel like, oh no, this is, I, this feels bad. This feels complicated. This is putting in question everything I do and my identity and my, my path. Um, there's a few people who will come to mind who you think might be able to solve this for you. And then other factors begin to creep in like, well, do I want to admit this problem to that person? Could it hurt my business or my reputation if that person, even though I trust them and their advice, maybe there's a reason I, I, I don't fully want them to know I'm struggling with this. Now, when that happens, based on the severity of your problem, it's important to maybe just forget all that crap. Like um, if you're seriously like on the, even like having suicidal thoughts or you're really in a, a deep funk, like a depression you can't shake. It, it's just, you got to get help, you know, and you got to reach out to whoever you think can help. Uh, and I've, I'm blessed with amazing friendships with people that, Oh my God, like I, I, I can't even believe that I'm so privileged to have these people in my life who can make me laugh in the face of, you know, fear and, and all these amazing things. But still, sometimes you have problems that are so deeply personal and feel so complicated that it's not as easy as picking up the phone and talking it out and suddenly feeling better, right? Um, but I guess the answer, Adel, is, um, is, is it's, it's people. There, there, there are always people out there who can help you. Uh, it really comes down to wanting to solve your problem. It might, it might not even be a conversation. It might be a podcast episode like this. Uh, it might be, you know, a book or even a, a friggin' meme, something that shakes you out of this feeling that this is all encompassing and, you know, um, impossible to overcome and helps you. I had somebody just told me a really inspiring story the other day that, that a friggin' meme turn their life around because they were like, that's it. That is exactly what I'm going to do. So it, it comes down. I think the answer is yeah, you can't throw in the towel on yourself. You have to want to figure it out. And it, it there was a time once where it took me six months. It literally took me six months of searching, 
and feeling so overwhelmed with this anxiety that I was willing to try anything. And what was valuable about that was uh, because I was open to trying anything, because I'd never experienced anxiety like this, it turned me on to some amazing alternatives that I just wouldn't have considered when I didn't need them yet, right? So, right. yeah, my simple answer is uh, it, you, you got to just look. You got you to gotta want to solve the problem enough to take action in finding a solution. That's actually a really good point. Um, so many people don't even do that. They get stuck and sit there and just waddle and wait. Mm-hmm. But like, um, I always equate that as uh, the turtle mechanism. Like, I don't know if you know this, but if a turtle ends up on its back, most of the times it can't get up. But when it can get up, it starts rolling back and forth, creating little shifts of movement and momentum until it can get back on its feet. Mm. And I think that's what a lot of people, they, they become like the frozen turtle where they don't move. But if they just shift side to side a little bit, Look for those answers. They'll find the answer and get back on their feet. It's a great, great analogy. Yeah. Uh, Well, it's a great story that you gave me to actually just ponder off. So people actually have both now. And the second question, which is my all-time favorite question, uh, really, is if there were the... Okay. So the people who usually listen to my show are, you know, business owners, people are entrepreneurs, people are just getting, like, stuck in a rut somewhere. So what three pieces of advice would you give someone that is in any of the situations where either prospering and looking to get onto the new level that they want, they are stuck in a rut and not sure what to do, or they're just thinking of starting out. Like what advice would you give them specifically? It could be simple, could be complex, but the floor is yours, my friend. Mm. Three pieces. Um, so, well, one is just uh, action and get out of your head and get into your feet, you know, like move your ass. Um, because you could, as we've talked about a bit in this, in this conversation, it's so easy to overthink everything and every little detail. Uh, you know, I don't like how many people have you seen, uh, never get anywhere because they're overthinking it to death compared to how many people you've seen succeed before your eyes even though they had like a really clunky start, right? Um, Unimaginable numbers. Yeah. And it's, if you catch yourself feeling stuck and, and um, not moving forward, that is your biggest problem to solve. It isn't, oh, I need this other software or I need this other course or any of that crap. It's you. you you've got to find a way to get you know, what John Carlton always says, like, get over your bad self and get moving and prepare to fail. Discover the joy in failing. It's, it's magic, you know, like be proud of it. And I'll tell you something, let me bring this home for you. If you're listening to this and and realizing you are overthinking, you've got your, your whole identity wrapped up in your immediate success. Uh, here's how dangerous it is to, to get stuck like that, the people in your life will support you more than you can imagine as long as they see you trying really hard and always moving forward. Even if you're making a lot of mistakes and costing yourself and even them money, they'll, they'll, they'll applaud your effort, they'll support your efforts as long as you're improving every time you make a mistake. 
What they won't support and what they will tire of very quickly is you standing around, wringing your hands, unsure of whether you're doing the right thing or making the right decision. That gets amazingly frustrating for the people who want to support you, who already love you. And in the, in, in the relationships I've seen end and fall apart and go up in flames in almost every one of them, and I'm talking like friends who have been through divorce and things like that, there was always a factor of one of the parties had big dreams and big ideas and w- was shit for follow through. And like I said, there's a very distinct pattern of I'll give you I'll give you the first one. All right. Yeah, you change your mind. Let's hear about the second one. OK, good. Hopefully you'll follow through on this one. Ah, here's the fourth and fifth one. And you never did anything with the first three that <laughs> people can't deal with that. We, we are we are as human beings meant to keep moving forward, traverse the land discover new things, learn from your mistakes and persevere. And when people see you not doing that and sitting around getting lazy or, or giving into overwhelm, they'll, they'll naturally move on to somebody more attractive. Yep. That's actually, again, truth. And just to add to that as well, if you don't mind, but like, um, I genuinely think you and I would not be friends if all I kept doing was bitching and moaning about how stuck I was all those years ago. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's any any relationship. Yeah, true. It's, and I consider you like, even though you and I don't speak, I still consider you one of my close friends. I'm like, if someone goes, "All right, how are you, what's your relationship with Kevin?" Like, I'm like, Kevin's a good friend. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, dude's a great guy. Go talk to him. You know, and I, that's the thing I love about what we can do is. You can email me and I can email you practically any time and we know we'll respond to it. We just know that there'll be a response there. Right. Whereas um, if the emails, again, uh, just touching upon the same point and highlighting it, is if all I kept emailing you, all you kept emailing me was just like, hey man, so I've got this idea about Copy Chief and I'm thinking <laughs> about launching it, but I don't know what I should do. All right, Kevin, you should totally do this, this, and this. I think there'll be a great idea people will buy it. All right, awesome. Two weeks later, hey, Adel, so the next thing about Copy Chief I'm really thinking about is that, <laughs> have you done the other thing? No, no, that thing didn't work out. I've just got to go do this other thing. Did you test it? No. Did you email your list? No. I know you didn't email your list because I'm on your list. Yeah, but I was thinking this might be better. Unless it's an actual, genuine, real-life, better better than other thing, yeah. it gets boring so quickly that I swear to God it would just become one of those things where me and Kevin would be like, all right, dude, just, just launch the damn thing. I love you as a brother, but freaking launch the damn thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. It's it, and then, yeah, man, and p- people, um, yeah, it's it, where. And the other thing I'll add to that is try to resist the um, need to validate every friggin' idea that pops into your head on Facebook, yep. right? Like I did a talk about this that I'm pretty proud of. It was actually the 100th episode of my podcast. I, I rebroadcast the talk. And it was about finding your voice. And and part of it was, man, like the minute if you get an idea that excites you, like literally causes you to vibrate and the n- very next thing you do is open Facebook and say, I just had an earth shaking idea and here it is. Blah, 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 blah. Well, now, guess what? It's not yours anymore. 
You just gave it up to the unit. And I'm not talking about somebody stealing it. I'm talking about somebody pissing on it or not responding to it. And then suddenly you're only thinking about the idea in the in the framework of how people responded to it, but it's not even formulated yet, right? You didn't do right. anything with it. All you did was have an idea. Those are easy. But the way to vet an idea is to keep it to yourself and let it see, is it still there the next day? Does it cause you to vibrate a week later? Are you having private conversations about this that 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 surprise you how, how invigorating they are? Well, maybe there's something really here. And now this is worth pursuing. Let it be an organic process rather than a, a reason to to post and get a, a little bit of attention for two hours on Facebook. That's that's robbing you of what might be your greatest inspiration. So let things be internal, like sit in silence with things and and find out, let them force them to validate themselves to you that way, not on social media. Oh, entirely. And uh, I have a friend who does this all the time. Like she'll get an idea and before she does anything, she'll put it on Facebook. And yeah. the comments sometimes that she gets, it's like, why haven't you executed on the idea? Oh, so-and-so said they didn't like it. I'm like, oh, man, who, who gives a shit? Like, my, my whole thing is, again, very similar to you. I think um, I think because we've both written for a really, really long time, we've mm-hmm. kind of hit that. I think there's a point as a writer, you just because you come across so many people pitching you sometimes when you get to a certain level. Mm-hmm. You no longer have to hunt them. They hunt you. Mm-hmm. And when they hunt you, it's you get everything. Like, you get everything under the sun being asked, hey, I've got this thing. Would you like to do ad revenue share on this or, like, revenue share with this, with this product that isn't even created? <laughs> right, right, right. After a while, you kind of, like, pick up the you pick up the telltale signs as in, this person's serious, they've had success, they know what they're doing, or this person's just full of shit and wants validation. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah that's well, that's like, you know, when I, I learned my lesson like that, even with podcasting, you know, where I get a, I get a lot of requests to, to be on podcasts, which I'm thankful for. But I started to see that people would ask, they'd say, hey, I'm thinking of doing a podcast or I'm starting a podcast. And I would do the interview and the podcast would never, never appear. Right. And so essentially that person just got a free consultation, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so now when people say to me, hey, I'm starting a podcast and I'd love to have you on it. And I say, I'd love to be on it. I and I'd love to be your 10th episode, you know, like make this thing real and make it live. And then let's do it, because unless I know you really well uh, before then, it's it's like. Life gets in the way and people have great ideas and then they quickly find out it's, oh, there's work involved. And, you know, it's important, like you said, to protect yourself and not get swept up in other people's big ideas, especially when they're not proving themselves as implementers. Yeah, it's it's so damn true. I think uh, you and I had this conversation as well at some point because I wanted to be on Copy Chief and we had this conversation that actually, you know what, right now is not the right time for me. And we just like, yeah, we'll, we'll do it another time. Um but yeah, Kevin, so where can people go ahead and check your stuff out? Most importantly, it's copychief.com is the main place. Copychief.com yep. forward slash blog is the next. Amazon for 60 seconds sales hook. And guys, if I may preach and protest one thing, like just preach like crazy to you, not so much, pro- well, a protest against not doing it. Um, go ahead and sign up to Kevin's list. You will learn more from watching the man, signing up with the man and being with the man 
than you will ever consuming hours upon hours of like everyone else's stuff because it's incredible watching Kevin's work in, in, in play. It's like, holy crap, I totally get what he's doing. I understand what's happening. So that's one. Two, get his book. And three, make sure you watch out for his new book, um, which is going to be amazing because I'm already on that order because as soon as he announced it, I'm buying it. <laughs> Thanks, brother. And uh, I'll just add into the podcast that I'm really proud of. If they go to copychief.com forward slash podcast, uh, you'll see there's two shows listed there. And I really I, – I, I have immense respect for people's ear holes. <laughs> and if yeah. somebody's willing to give me – stick me into your ear – uh, it's my vow that I'll I'll make every second of it count. So uh, I'd love for them to check out my podcast. Hells yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say. Go check out Kevin's podcast. You will not be disappointed with the level of talent that goes on there. Because as I said, Kevin vets every single damn person that comes onto a show before they get on. So you're getting nothing but quality. And it's the same thing we have on this show as well. So Kevin, thank you so much for being here, my friend. I very much appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, I enjoyed it, man. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Guys, go check out Kevin's stuff. And as always, uh, yeah, just listen out for the next episode. I'll speak to you guys soon. Take care.